A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. Today, I am speaking with Arun Samuga, who is the Chief Innovation Officer of Alemica, a global SaaS-based supply chain network software solution. That's a mouthful. Um, Arun joined Alemica in 2009 through a merger with Rubber Network. He was promoted to the uh, Chief Technology Officer position in 2018, and Arun leads Alemica's global development organization, um, and was responsible for the continued development of new software products and solutions. Today, he is really tasked with accelerating and ever-expanding opportunities in the area of supply chain innovation. So we're going to have a good conversation about digitization, supply chain, and more. Arun, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you, Victoria. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad to have you here. Yeah. What's your origin story? What got you interested in technology and eventually chemicals and Alemica? Yeah, maybe we go back um, 1990 to 1994. Um, I studied aerospace engineering uh, from IIT, Indian Institute of Technology in Mumbai. And, you know, one thing about aerospace engineering is that uh, many people think it's just about aircrafts and aerodynamics and then you're done. Well, if you dig deeper, there's a lot of like computational fluid dynamics uh, there is controls, control theory. Uh, of course, there's aerodynamics. So a lot of math, I would say, uh, and also a lot of software programming in order to, as part of coursework, as part of projects, you had to model, like you're not going to have access to an aircraft on demand. Uh, so you have to model things. So there's a lot of 3D modeling and, and uh, fluid dynamics style activities that kind of naturally kind of promoted me into the software space. And in 1994, 1995, there was this huge, uh, you know, movement around large multinationals moving to India in terms of uh, a low-cost software development center tapping into a lot of engineers and, you know, a lot of high-skilled labor, I would say. Uh, so I just jumped on the bandwagon, to be honest with you, and uh, I joined Tata Consultancy Services, who uh, interestingly, you know, posted me in uh, the United Arab Emirates. I worked in Japan. I worked in the United Kingdom and then finally came to the U.S. And uh, fast forward 2002, uh, I joined Rubber Network and uh, as an integration technical lead, uh, built the business-to-business -business integration software. And as we merged with Elemica in 2009, it was just a natural kind of extension. So that supply chain pivot occurred sometime around 2001, 2002. Uh, but I've, most of my time, I've been very, very close to technology and software. So that's just my genesis in a nutshell. Yeah, interesting. So tell us a little bit about Alamica, just a brief overview of the company and where it is today. Yeah, I think, you know, you you may have known uh, Alamica from 2000, 2001 timeframe. Uh, and uh, in those days, I would say, you know, the focus was fundamentally around getting systems connected. It was around making 
business processes uh, automated, making them talk, uh, ensuring that there is a level of collaboration, especially between the buyers and sellers. Uh, what we noticed was, you know, um, over a period of time, it was not just enough for it to be a buyer-seller relationship style automation. Uh, so it, it extended naturally. And if you look at a classic supply chain flow between a buyer and a supplier, a buyer always initiates an order, the supplier responds, supplier ships the goods, uh, and then the supplier invoices the buyer. Now, that's a very, very simple model. If you break it down further, the supplier is also responsible for shipping the goods that they manufacture to the buyer. And in the process industry, it's even more complicated because there could be multiple tiers of suppliers trying to go and produce the same uh, ultimate parts, right? For a, for a car, for example, has what, like 40,000 parts. So as you can imagine, the, the supply chain there itself in terms of tiers is super complicated. Uh, and then you add transportation into the mix. So we, uh, and, and I'm explaining this because this is how our journey also kind of propagated. It mirrored it. So while our roots were in technology, uh, we extended the paradigm of the buyer-supply relationship to include a shipper-carrier-style persona and relationships. And slowly we realized all these things are intricately connected to each other and that there is a lot of dependency between these flows. Uh, you know, if you order X amount of material for uh, for Y delivery date and then the supplier just says no or, or they provide something lesser or at a different date, and then you have to coordinate that with the carrier. So we, we decided end-to-end -end supply chain is actually the right space to be in. So we slowly expanded our product portfolio all the way from uh, 2002, 2009 into, I would say, up until 2018, 2019 timeframe. And then Eurasio acquired us uh, in 2018. And uh, since then, uh, we've been focused more on growth. And uh, of course, growth has two components. Uh, there is organic growth through our network, which is like 80,000 participants strong now. And it started with a simple order uh, flowing from DSM to BASF. And now it's uh, it's it's like pretty global, I would say, in terms of footprint with expansion into Latin America and Asia Pacific as well. Uh, and uh, of course, in 2012, if you remember, there, there was this genesis of the four big forces, right? There was uh, cloud technology, there was big data, there was business social like LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. And then mobility and mobile technology. So these four forces forced us to re evaluate our tech stack and then we rebuilt our network platform ground up in the cloud in 2012 timeframe and we got about 13 patents in total uh, for the technology so it's been exciting times and that's more like a, a timeline based journey I would say but the one last point there in terms of where we are now uh, in the last three or four years we acquired four different companies um, so one based out of Chicago uh, called GSQA with the focus on quality management and validation. Uh, iFreight out of uh, Netherlands, a level five TMS, uh, full truckload, less than truckload optimization and planning. And then we acquired uh, Omprompt, which is a non-EDI data processing engine. So think unstructured data as you hit the long tail, especially around PDFs, Excel files, images, HTMLs. You've got to convert that to structured data because ultimately all that needs to go into the ERP or a TMS. So we acquired them out of the United Kingdom uh, and then uh, Process Weaver, which is more of a last mile parcel shipment execution company, uh, especially if you think about retail 
you know, there's a lot of shipments that need to be delivered uh, same day, you know, less than truckload. It could be parcels. So a lot of samples, especially in the process industry, get uh, shipped via parcel as well. So a lot of interesting use cases. And as a result of these acquisitions, while our roots were in the process industry, I would say we've diversified very beautifully. Like now it's consumer packaged goods. Uh, we are adjacent to pharma, uh, heavy duty industrials like ABB. Uh, so a lot of growth uh, and food and beverage as well. So we cover the entire gamut at this point in time. And, uh, you know, that to me has been a spectacular kind of story. Uh, while the roots are in the process industry now uh, with the end-to-end uh, suite, solution suites that we have uh, and a scalable network intrinsically, we are able to actually penetrate uh, markets much deeper and much broader. That's interesting. I had not realized that. So in fact, you know, I, I was introduced to Alemica at its formation. Right. Mm-hmm. In 2000, 2001, um, I was working at Shell doing e-business that was very customer and commercially focused um, more on a one to one basis. I had colleagues that were working on Alemica and helping develop that platform. And, you know, along with, as you mentioned, BASF and DSM and others. So um, it, this interesting, this transition from being chemical process industry focused to a much broader focus. Um, is quite a big evolution. Yeah, no, I would I would agree because uh, you know you can try to grow organically, but that's very hard, and and there are incumbents, right? Um, so I think the board uh, and and us we have we are on the right uh, strategic path. I would say I think uh, you know looking ahead as well. I mean we are constantly trying to grow. We also uh, put in a lot of focus onto our partner network. So now. You know, we have partnerships with a lot of different companies, including like uh, giants like SAP, Oracle, NetSuite on one side, and then with the systems integrators like Accenture, uh, Capgemini, et cetera. So uh, the ecosystem, I would say, in general is growing. And I think it's essential just because of the global nature of supply chain, the focus on, uh, you know, increased resiliency in the supply chain. You cannot just do it by yourself. It's almost always a multi vendor multi partner play and yeah. uh, right there so interesting yeah and and so i know also at the beginning at the beginning um it was really about connecting erp systems together so it was a bit of a behind the scenes tool in some respects um is that still true today is it still really about connecting business systems together and to support the supply chain or is there also um, storefronts and other things like some other platforms are developing? No, so that's a very good question because, you know, if you think about a journey, a digital journey, right, it almost always starts with digitization. So connectivity, I would say, is the foundation. You need that. Now, how you do it might be different. So things have changed. You, know, you, have, you have APIs nowadays uh, where, you know, you can just push data into an endpoint, get data back. Uh, there are companies, there are specialist companies like Project 44, Four Kites, who only focus on visibility. So you can take their services for visibility. You can take Elemica for, say, network expansion and process automation. And then you could use our uh, last mile parcel for shipping samples. So it's become more of a mix and match kind of play zone for our enterprise clients. So you will see multiple vendors. So all the way, if you look at a traditional enterprise client, like let's say BASF or Dow, 
as an example, they would almost always have Salesforce, right? I mean, that's their CRM, but they will almost always have an ERP. They will almost always have a TMS. So, you know, there is a lot of adjacency around these huge systems, uh, which are fundamentally need to be glued, I would say, from a workflow automation perspective. And if you extend that enterprise to the uh, external trading partner base, be it your enterprise's customers, be it their suppliers, or be it their logistic service providers, uh, then there is a lot of room in terms of automation at varying levels for different business processes. Like even the classic buyer-supplier relationship, you know, there is the purchase order management between a buyer and a supplier. But a buyer and supplier could decide that, you know, collectively they're spending a lot on working capital and they want to fundamentally reduce the inventory. So they might engage in a vendor-managed inventory style process. It doesn't even need to be purchase orders. So things have evolved, I would say, from a process automation perspective. A lot of interesting digital models have come into play. While connectivity can be viewed as a foundational step, uh, I think what's happened now is it's become a land of specialization uh, with a lot of mix and match capabilities. And uh, to your point about web shops, yes, I mean, you know, I, in speaking with some of these large companies, like, even BASF and Dow, they have their own storefront. Um, you know, they have Dow.com and BASF.com. You can go there and place orders. So instead of calling it commoditized, I would say there are these large enterprise clients who are looking at multiple channels uh, in order to propagate the sale of their goods ultimately and maximize customer delight. So all these things go hand in hand. Uh, and on the other side, of course, they have to ensure that they have the goods come in from their suppliers and shipped correctly to their customers. Otherwise, you're going to have an unhappy customer. So web shops have made their way in a lot of a movement around APIs as well. So, you know, there's a couple of use well, Okay, so you're going to need to decipher for us. What's an API? API is an application programmable interface. So it's more like a, you know, traditionally connectivity was achieved. Uh, speaking of connectivity, right, it was achieved through... Uh, you may have heard EDI, like, you know, where machines talk to each other. But what's happened now, those are EDI is really good for like, you know, uh, asynchronous communication. Like, hey, I want to send you an order. Here is an EDI and it goes into your system. Great. Now, what if I wanted to place an order? While I place the order, you as a supplier want to check if you have enough inventory and you want to check the available to uh, deliver. And you also want to immediately check if the carrier is willing to ship those goods. How do you do this? You, you can't keep sending EDI messages. Or you could. Uh, that's how it was done earlier. So what, what, what happens in the API landscape is as a supplier, you open up an, a programmable interface, which the buyer calls, and you are able to execute these other searches in real time with other enterprise systems or trading partners, be it your carriers, be it your internal systems in terms of inventory position, and immediately respond back to the buyer. So the speed at which you're able to take a decision or provide some inputs to the buyer in that equation has significantly changed through APIs because they can be synchronous in nature. Okay. Interesting. That was helpful. So you've talked quite a bit about um these large enterprises, um, Shell, BISF, Dow, others. How does this work for smaller companies? Because the reality is what I know from talking to people across the industry, there are many companies who have not really digitized their platforms. They're 
supply chain, their transactional interfaces. And part of it is this barriers to entry. One, they see that there's a lot of barriers to entry. Two, they really wonder about picking the right solution, right? And so I think, you know, so there's a couple of things. One, you've talked about um, these big companies, but you've also talked about, you know, what did you call it? The land of automation and the ability to mix and match, which I don't think is apparent to business leaders who really just want to be doing business effectively with their customers. So how does this play out when we scale down, when we're not talking about multi-billion dollar businesses, but when we're talking about really a lot of the companies that are in the heart of the industry, kind of, you know, mid-tier and other companies? Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting. It's an interesting view if you look at the size of a company, for example, um, you know, of course, there's small to medium, medium to large and extra large, so so to say. But uh, one point I would like to make is even for a large company like BASF or Dow, some of their customers are very small. Yes. So ultimately, the, the supply chain is an interesting field exactly for that reason, because you could be a very small customer of Dow, but you could be a giant customer for somebody else. Now, would you want to invest in terms of your automation levels with Dow in that equation? Maybe not, because it's not worth the cost of operation. So if we extend that logic to really small companies, to your point, uh, the way we look at it from a network perspective is there is this long tail. That's how we look at small companies. Now, with your incumbent large trading partners, you can get away with EDI, with existing ERP implementations, with existing infrastructure. You extend it, connect to the Elemica network, and then boom, uh, you have your automation done. What we also offer, we notice that you know you cannot just be limited to 20% of your partners who generate 70 to 80% of your business. There's a huge long tail. I mean, some of them have 120,000 suppliers. And obviously, to your point, not all of them have these technological capabilities. Some of them might just be in a remote location in Latin America producing one specialized thing that's absolutely needed. Um, and, uh, you know, how do you engage with them, right? But you have to because you cannot have silos. Otherwise, you'll end up with data silos, which are even more dangerous because how are you going to keep track of your KPIs as an organization? Uh, so what what we did was we devised a way and we call it a multi-channel strategy. So you don't need to necessarily have EDI or XML capabilities to transact with Elemica. We can handle emails. We can handle PDFs. We can handle Excel files. All that can be converted into structured data very easily. So a lot of the small companies, they engage with us through those channels. So I would call it broadly a multi-channel strategy is what we offer to the market. And from our enterprise client's perspective, to your point, they could have small customers, small suppliers, or small carriers. They could also engage with us through this multi-channel strategy, be it through email, uh, through a web portal, uh, or APIs for, for that matter, if they have a little bit of uh, technology investment. That's great. So digitization and supply chain have been hot topics for the 2020, right? Um, and Alemica is obviously working at the intersection of both. When you look back at the events of the past couple of years, the pandemic, all the supply chain challenges we've had, and heck, this acceleration of digitization, what's been the effect on Alemica's business? 
It's sad, but, you know, uh, I mean, the pandemic itself was a sad event. Uh, of course, it was a global disruption. But what companies did was, um, I think they went selfish, uh, for lack of a better word. They started piling up inventory like crazy. So we saw an uptick in transactions during the pandemic. Uh, so while there were some companies who came and asked us for relief, especially in terms of payment terms, et cetera, which is completely understandable. The commercials aside, if you look at the supply chain transactions, those went up during the pandemic. And I did some research later. So it peaked in 2021. And then come 2022, late 2022, so the order volume started going down. Yeah, we've been seeing this. I reached out to a few clients and I said, what is happening? Did you notice there was a 13.6% reduction in order volume across the LMICA network between 2021 and 2022. So I go back to some of these clients and say, hey, you went down by only 6%, but the LMICA network order volume went down by 13.6%. Why is that? So their response was, we did not stock up as much as did some of our other peers. So I knew that the pandemic actually, while a sad event, uh, was actually very good for us from a transaction volume perspective. But then when you look at what happened outside, they just companies just stockpile inventory and now they're basically trying to reduce the order volumes and it's coming back to normalcy. Of course, the one thing that the pandemic has taught us, and there was the incident in the Suez Canal as well. So supply chain risk, I think, has become a very important topic. Uh, so I would say there is more focus on resiliency. And uh, I think with the circular economy and sustainability taking uh, you know, newer heights, I think climate control, climate change has become important topics as well. So as a result of the pandemic and some of the events in the last two or three years, I would say there is rebalance of supply chain volume. And I think there is higher focus on risk resiliency and sustainability. Absolutely. I think you're right with that. Did you guys adjust um, your platform or offerings as a result of how the markets and the needs have evolved? in the past few years. Yeah, see, I, it's also interesting that it was during the pandemic that we acquired two companies. Um, I would say two and a half because one kind of bled into the pandemic. But uh, if you assume three companies, acquiring three companies during the, during a pandemic is hard. Like we could not travel. We could not meet these people. It was all right. remote, which, is, which was very weird. Uh, like, hey, now we acquired this company, but we can't go and meet anybody. So that was unheard of. Uh, to answer your question more directly, I would say we added, uh, you know, three strong capabilities onto our network platform. So one in uh, level five transport management solution, uh, one non-EDI data processing solution, as well as the last mile shipment execution solution. So absolutely more focus around, uh, to your point, the, the long tail data processing, because, you know, we have capabilities for the bigger guys and uh, now it's in-house. And then transportation is always a hot topic because there are multiple ways to optimize routes. There are multiple places to get things from. And, you know, more, more, a lot more companies are investing in network optimization as well as dynamic inventory optimization. So as a result of that, you will notice that transportation becomes a very natural kind of uh, objective in terms of the need for optimization. And uh, I think we made the right moves there, especially focusing heavily on transport optimization. Yeah, great. That's really interesting. So 
you talked about um, some of the insights that you've been able to draw and you've gone back and you've done some some research around, you know, the, the level of ordering upticks, the inventory declines. And, the, and it strikes me that in this world of big data that we're in at the moment, that seems to be a big phrase that Alemica itself has access to a lot of data. Now, I know that you're also bound by confidentiality and you have firewalls around data, et cetera. Um, but is this something that you and the company look at in terms of how to identify and drive trends? And is that a service that you offer to your business partners? Or is it just that the data is there for them to take advantage of if they will? Or is there something that Alumica does specifically around leveraging uh, insights? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting you call it insights because we call it insights. Uh, that's our data analytics layer, embedded analytics layer. Uh, what what we've done, we started that uh, about one and a half years ago. Uh, we put in a lot of focus because we real to your point, we realized data is extremely crucial in terms of decision making. Earlier, we would just say, automate the process, get it to eighty percent, you're good. Well, let's take a look. If you say eighty percent, do you know how many suppliers are actually responding to your orders electronically? And even if they do, do you know how many of them are accepting your orders the first time you send it? How many of them have a qualified order response saying, I can't deliver it by this date and I can't deliver that much quantity? How many of them deliver things on time? And how is the carrier performance doing? Are these carriers doing well for one customer over another? So we are in a very good spot in terms of identifying those trends and what I've done as part of the innovation lab now is added a lot more focus there. So I picked it up late last year in terms of uh, building a complete data lake from scratch where all these transactions get stockpiled. And because of the patents, we also have auto-correlation capabilities like a purchase order number in a, pur in a purchase order is a purchase order number in an invoice. As long as they match and it's be between the same buyer and supplier, our systems automatically correlate. So we have a step up there in terms of the network technology. Uh, so we are able to mine data. I'm extremely interested in process mining because at the end of the day, it's not about automation alone, right? It's about taking a look at the data as a result of automation and getting deep insights into all these different vectors across the different trading partner types and going back to these clients and saying, you know what, your suppliers are not up to par. This is how you transform your business. It's not just about digitalization and digital transformation. It is about business transformation. And this is how you can transform your business. This is how you can improve your trading partner relationships. And these are the key insights that you have at your fingertips. So we started doing that uh, with a few specific clients just to validate whether these things stick, these things are meaningful. And what I've noticed as a result is a lot of the CIOs in these companies have started expressing interest in this. And for good reasons, because again, the thing with data is you cannot just distribute data to everybody because not everybody is going to treat it the same. You need the right data to get in front of the right persona. And that is where we are in terms of saying, if it's a CIO, package up the data in this way so that you can relate it to some KPIs. It should be relatable easily to, uh, you know, day's inventory outstanding or day sales outstanding or, you know, some metric that resonates 
with the broader organization. And that's when you realize not all enterprises are the same. So we are at that point where we are saying, okay, we have a productized kind of service here, but then each enterprise wants something else and different personas within enterprises need something else. So we are sifting right. through that. And I think uh, that's just a you know digital maturity journey that we have to embark on regardless. Right. So what are companies looking for today when they're thinking about digital solutions? What are the problems that they're trying to solve? You know, ultimately, if you if you take a if you look at it really outside in, right? I mean, um, there are performance indicators that people are measured by, right? I mean, people people look at supply chain variability, people look at uh, demand sensing capabilities, people want excellent customer service, they want to reduce their operating cost, uh, and how are they performing? Are they performing to plan? So those are some of the performance indicators, I would say. But then there are the broader supply chain metrics, right? I mean, what is your cash to cash uh, cycle look like? What is your perfect order rate? And what's the ROI on your gross margin? So those things stay. Those things haven't significantly changed, I would say. That's what companies are looking at uh, at a strategic level. But then what's happened now is there are multiple risk categories that have come into play. Of course, there's force majeure. Uh, then there are man-made risks. I mean, we are seeing it in uh, in a war-like situation. Of course, geopolitical uh, risks, and most notably, cyber risk. That's become huge. And what's happening is it's changing the way people are reacting to technology. Now, when we get a lot of requests for proposals, requests for information, and there are two or three things that almost always stand out. Are you open to us doing a security audit before we sign off. I mean, it's become mandatory. So I would say- Not really a surprise in, in the world that we're in today, right? Absolutely. So I would say, you know, you look at all these vectors, right? I mean, you have your KPIs, you have your performance indicators, and you have your risk. But then uh, people underestimate the changes driven by technology itself. I mean, AI has come a long, long way, very, very fast. Now, AI as a technology is actually pretty old. But then the democratization of AI has happened very, very quickly. So what does that mean hand, when you say that? It, it means, uh, you know, the mass, everybody has access mm -hmm. to AI. It's, it's democratized. The models, the right. large language models are available for everybody to use. You can set up an account with OpenAI and ask questions with ChatGPT like in the next 10 minutes. So I've got one. I use it yeah, occasionally. Exactly. Yeah. So now I'm not going to I'm not going to comment on the quality of the output. But my main point being, technology changes like RPA, IoT sensing, uh, people putting devices on trucks in order to measure humidity, um, to measure vibration, to measure decibel noise, to measure uh, temperature, like cold storage. So a lot of things have changed uh, fundamentally. And when you look at these four vectors, as I like to call them, you have your KPIs, you have your performance metrics, you have the risk categories, and then you have these technologies that are coming into play. The juxtaposition and, and the way these things mingle and play with each other has fundamentally altered the landscape of large enterprises. And we see that on a daily basis. Uh, now, through the power of the network, because it's so flexible, we are able to adapt to these needs because you know you think of an endpoint, if an IoT sensor is sending data through streaming. Our network handles it. It's easy. Uh, if if there is an, you know, we spoke about APIs. If we have to hit some 
like we hit marine traffic, for example. It's a company that provides visibility into uh, ocean vessels. Now, our clients don't need to set up an account with marine traffic. They're already doing the transport execution through us. So we just have a link with marine traffic through an API. We get the status of a vessel and then we show it to our customers. So we've we've opened up our flexibility, I would say, in terms of a broader ecosystem in order to cater to some of these changing demands on the customer side. Yeah, so, uh, what strikes me with that is that we're, we have this ever increasing need for information, fast information and figuring out how to surface it and provide it is, is critical. And it's a journey, right? It's changed dramatically in the time that Olemic has been established and even just in the last year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, if I were to, if you ask me, pick three things that is um, the highest focus for most companies, right? I mean, you can't just say, go to a company and say, hey, you pick three things and it's going to be slightly different from some other company. But based on my research, I would say uh, the top three things that companies are looking at at a high level is business transformation, even though they call it digital transformation, but that's not what the C-suite is looking at. They're looking at business transformation. The second category is supply chain resiliency. People want to ensure that they are risk-proof as much as they can. And the third thing is sustainability. So to me, those are the three areas where I see a lot of moving pieces from a strategic perspective. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so Arun, when I think about digital solutions and when I talk to people across the industry, and I guess maybe some of the biggest companies have already made the case, but building a financial benefit case for digital solutions is often challenging, right? Um, because companies view that digitization does not necessarily change who they're doing business with. It simply makes it more seamless, ties the information together. And often, and I've heard this a lot, people say, well, I don't, I don't know where the money is in it. How do you respond to that? Yeah, so I think we touched upon this a little briefly earlier. I, I think it is about educating a potential client on the advantages of embarking on a digital journey. So I think that's important. Like you, we need to be able to be, we need to be very clear about what the ROI is. We have lot of case studies like i can throw out a couple of data points at you when i when i talk to a client right i go there and say client a actually reduced their inventory by 50% in 2 years and that's inventory gone out of the supply chain forever that's a clear working capital gain that you have there now that by itself can translate to multiple dimensions right it could be You've reduced working capital, but then now you have a lot more cash on hand in order to invest it in customer delight and, and many other areas. Increase your sales channel, uh, in, you know, invest in sustainability. So there's a lot of things you can do there uh, in terms of an ROI. And we have case studies, we have value calculators, uh, and then we have a broad industry kind of view as well. And we have now we have the data to back it up as well. Uh, we can say, look, I mean, we've seen an uptick in the order volumes because of digitization and otherwise these were all manual processes and you need like 150 people in your customer success department or customer service department and now you have only 22 
What happened? Well, the others are focused on more higher order problem solving capabilities for the organization because they moved on and they're doing something bigger and better. So there is a lot of uh, you know ROI positions that we clearly articulate. And then as a result of the acquisitions, you know, you can also look at us going into the market with a land and expand strategy. So you don't need to buy everything LMIC has to offer. So if your pain point is last mile parcel execution, just take that. But then eventually over a period of time, once you get familiar with it and you start realizing the benefits of LMIC as a network company, you will slowly start using more and more of our products. So from our perspective, it's a cross-sale opportunity, but then from an enterprise client's perspective, they are embarking on a rather long, large digital journey of maturity. So we convince that's our story and that's how we talk about it. Uh, you might want to buy one product now, but bear in mind, CIO, this is where we want to take you. And it has all these different dimensions. There's your customers, your suppliers, your carriers, uh, your warehouses, distribution centers. We impact different personas all the way from fulfillment to procurement to customer service. And then with all of this data that goes through, we push it into the insights layer. We can also send it back to you. We can provide deep insights, which you can use in order to just transform your business. So that's how we go to market. And that's the high level story. But as you can imagine, each one of those uh, is very well supported with a lot of data that we've gathered over a period of time. So the ROI definition is something that we do pretty clearly. Uh, and to be honest, I don't think we've gotten any pushback so far in terms of the quality of the content or uh, the nature of the conversation itself. Okay, awesome. When you think about, um, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on the, the chemical show is the customer experience. So how does um, digitization and maybe Alamica really affect the customer experience in, in that customer journey? Yeah, I think uh, ultimately, I would say that we start off, and that's also a journey, right? It's not like it's a switch that you flip and now suddenly you have happy customers. It, it doesn't work that way. So if you think of sales order automation, uh, obviously everything is persona-based within a customer base. So uh, you think of customer service representatives, what we ultimately do as a result of guaranteeing that that order is going to be perfect and it's going to go into your system seamlessly regardless of how and where it came from, be it EDI, XML, API, RPA, came from Ariba or it came from wherever or it came through an email, it's going to get into your system because we come in there and ensure that you don't have to worry about it. So what that does is it improves the quality of life of the customer service representative. Similarly, when you look at a transport planner's day in the life, right? They're basically executing shipments left and right. And they're trying to call carriers, they're trying to talk to them, negotiate rates, et cetera. We have a rating engine built in, the transportation management solution. You just change it once every year during contract negotiations, upload it, boom. After that, as soon as you get an order, we are able to translate it into a transport order, optimize it for full truck load, identify the right carriers based on rates and lanes, which is the origin destination pair, and send it out. Now, the planner is sitting there going, all I have to do is manage exceptions, right? Because the planning part is and the execution part is completely automated. What that does is now the planner has more time to only focus on exceptions. Now, speaking about exceptions, 
if there are failures, we have a lot of rules and validations in place. We can validate against them against our entire network. We can validate it for a given client. We can validate it for a trading partner pair or a trading partner pair and a particular document type. So we go pretty broad and deep in terms of rules and validations. What what that does is now not only have we automated the exception management for the planner or the customer service representative, we ensure that they only focus on things that are truly exceptions. And we also provide end-to-end -end visibility into the life cycle of an order as well as the life cycle of a shipment. Now what we've done is essentially we've created a glue within the enterprise where you have the customer service representative in communication with their customers who are already happy, who also have the same level of visibility and the enterprise is working seamlessly because the transport planner is completely in sync with the customer service representative who knows that the supplier who's going to ship the goods to them uh, are also aligned because of how we go, go in with the end-to-end -end strategy. So you have the procurement division within the enterprise also aligned. So you've hit procurement, you've hit transportation, and you've hit customer uh, service. You've created a glue. You've created a beautiful workflow between them. So you've made everybody's quality of life better from a personal perspective. But then from a professional standpoint, they have more time in order to actually cater to the key objectives that the enterprise has. So that's how we kind of transform the organization yeah. typically. That makes sense. I think that aspect of, you know, working on um, the exception, spending time where it's really critical to spend time to solve customer challenges, supplier challenges, et cetera, versus on uh, standard, you know, business as usual things should make the experience better for everyone. Awesome. So what's next for you in Furlamica? What should we be looking forward to over the rest of the year? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, as we grow, I think, again, as I mentioned, the board is very uh, keen on us uh, from a growth perspective. So they look at it through that lens very, very consistently. I wouldn't be surprised or you shouldn't be surprised or anybody shouldn't if we end up acquiring uh, one or two more companies. And, um, you know, we're always looking for the right company, right partners. So that's one area of growth. Uh, we are aggressively extending our partner ecosystem, as I mentioned earlier. So more and more people are working on the Elemica network, being able to create value for our clients. Uh, and we, we're also doing a lot in terms of AI and sustainability uh, and the advanced embedded analytics. So that's another area from a technology, pure tech perspective where we are investing. So I would say these three big buckets uh, are going to constitute a lot of 2023 uh, and into 2024. So M&A activities for growth, uh, it's going to be investment in uh, new technology as well as our uh, extension of our trading partner ecosystem. And that's going to put us, uh, you know, position us very nicely for years to come, especially as it relates to the world of supply chain automation and, uh, you know, orchestration. Awesome. Great. Well, Arun, thank you so much for joining me today on The Chemical Show. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for your time. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. Keep listening, following and sharing, and we'll talk to you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.